Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 5 of the Film Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dean, joined by the lovely Miss Boo, the Queen of Halloween. How are you doing? I am ecstatic. It is Halloween. We made it. My day is here. So much happiness. Yes, you've been hyping up Halloween since last Halloween. Halloween. And in honor of that what are we watching today miss boo in honor of halloween this was you know obviously the choice to go with we are watching john carpenter's halloween 1978 the original halloween yeah that right there is a bona fide classic if you want to hear more about it you can go on my shameless plug the double feature podcast uh come on yeah shameless shame you know same shameless shame see i'm all tongue-tied today because i talk too much but yeah, so we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's Halloween, and you know what, Boo? What's that? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie? How does this movie go? So we can kind of just get the plot out of the way, and then we can talk about the movie ad nauseum, because I think we have a lot to say about the movie. We do. We really love this movie, so a lot's going to be said today. Yeah. Well, the movie starts off with a young boy committing a murder, and this boy goes away, and we jump about 10 years into the future and he makes a return back and you know all hell breaks loose in one night with this you know poor girl that just happens to cross paths with this killer and all her friends pay the price yeah that would be miss jamie lee curtis playing laurie strode the 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 original scream queen right yes she is yeah so what is what where do you want to start with this movie because i think there's a lot we can go with I mean, just love it so much. Just we know you love it so much, but you got to give me something to start with. I can't just, you know, start talking about the dynamic camera work, the rawness of the film, how the, you know, the lighting in this movie is superb in the night scenes. Well, I mean, because they couldn't afford lighting. It's true. This is a, this is a cheap production. Cheap production and wisely spent for what they had. Oh, yeah. This whole movie is... I don't know how much this movie actually cost. It cost like a ham sandwich, I believe. They their budget was three hundred thousand for the film, and I mean about twenty thousand of that went to Donald Pleasance for his five days of shooting the film. Yeah, and Donald Pleasance, you get you get your money's worth out of him because every scene Donald Pleasance is in playing Doctor Loomis, he is in a different movie. Mm-hmm. It is it is so weird to see this like really like well trained like English actor in this fucking slasher movie and i mean it's not surprising that he only shot for five days because he was just spot on every scene that he was in yeah it didn't look like he was worn out by the by a long shoot or anything like that it was really good um but yeah like i don't know let's talk about the characters because who's your favorite character in halloween in in the original in the original donald pleasance like dr loomis is so good because he's the main character of the film and when you really look at it, you can see that it's this guy who is tortured by the fact he couldn't help Michael. And when he has that realization that he can't help him, be, not because um, Dr. Loomis couldn't help him, like, oh, I'm incapable. It's because this person, this thing, this, you know, the shape, the shape that is Michael Myers is just pure evil. That's and it's yeah it's pretty good and 
it's really cool because as the it goes on, it's this sense of guilt, this sense of dread, and this almost like he's on like a revenge trip trying to hunt him down. And he's also basically in like this uh, weird noir film because as he's you're loving the trench coat aren't you i'm loving the trench coat it's it's great also the scene where he's in the graveyard when they see Judas meyer's tombstone has been taken away i don't know why it's just how he plays that that moment and that performance is just very good like i think he's solid across the board in this movie i mean he is dr loomis he is dr loomis he's not you know donald pleasance he is this character he is he's the only one i think has been in God, I think he was in every Halloween up until he died. And that yeah. was like Curse of Michael Myers in like 90-something? I think so. Yeah, because that was the one right before H2O. Yeah, H2O was the first Halloween film that did not have Donald Pleasance in it. Mm-hmm. And then the Well, new I, Halloween... I guess Halloween 3, technically, you didn't you didn't have him in there. But Halloween 3 was a different, whole different thing. Yeah, that was its own can of worms. Yeah, oh, I can't wait for us to do Halloween 3. Have you ever seen it? I have. You have? It's painful really i think halloween 3 is actually a pretty like good like fun halloween movie it's just it has the stigma of being attached to the halloween series and it's the only one that's not a slasher movie yeah and it's like i love halloween because michael myers he is the star even though donald pleasance is the star of the movie michael myers is really the star and that's true and this is the first film i believe at least in the slasher genre, where the slasher became the star. Yeah. Because I know Texas Chainsaw Massacre was before this, which, classic in its own right, but it didn't get a sequel until the 80s, I believe. Yeah, it was a long time before we got a a follow-up to the original. This one has been more consistent, and it also laid the groundwork for other slasher movies like Friday the 13th, Scream, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, so many movies. Oh, yeah, but um, I think it's interesting, like, why is it that Michael Myers became the star? I know he's the only real reoccurring character in all the movies, but why do, does, do the audiences attach themselves to the killer and not the survivors? I mean, he's just really cool. He doesn't talk. He doesn't run. He just, you know, kind of, you know, does his little speed walk after you. He's like, I'm eventually going to find you and kill you. You know, I don't have to worry about the chase. It's like, it's going to happen. Well, what's the cool part about being a serial killer? He's got the cool jumpsuit. He's got the creepy uh, Captain Kirk mask. But what's... Okay, like, don't get me wrong. Captain Captain Kirk is, is a stone-cold badass and will be forever, but... I know. he Shatner is your hero. As you look up behind Wait. you at your Shatner poster. Okay, it's a Star Trek poster. All right, everybody is on there, but yeah. But besides but, the but point. Shatner's closest to you on that poster. Look, the original series is untouchable, but whatever. Look, all I'm saying is that it. I think it's kind of weird when you really go in and think about it that the horror movie public, the audience, attaches themselves more with the monster that's killing everybody than the survivors. And I mean, I kind of get it for, like, Jason Voorhees because... He's, you know, this, the whole story of Jason Voorhees, you know, mentally disabled kid who's neglected, abused, and this is his revenge after they killed his mother and all this other stuff. I can kind of see it because Jason has a pseudo-sympathetic background, 
But then it's like Michael Myers is just pure evil. He just likes killing bitches. He's pure evil, but this goes back to like the Universal days where, you know, Frankenstein released, Dracula released. No one was, you know, fanboying over Dr. Frankenstein. They were, you know, fans of Frankenstein's monster or they were fans of Dracula. They weren't fans of Fritz. It's, you know, it's the monsters that, you know, we find cool, you know, we wish they were real, but at the same time, we don't wish they were real because, you know, you don't want to get, you know, killed by Dracula or destroyed by the creature, but it's still cool to see them. I mean, I, I understand that there's an aesthetic appeal to to a very well-designed monster, and I guess, I think that's probably the reason Michael is so, like, stuck around so well because we see him and it's this blank expressionless face which is the the spray painted white captain kirk mask which was genius by the way oh yeah i think they were like it was either gonna be a clown mask and then they saw the captain kirk one i think it was like they went to a dollar store and just bought a bunch of random masks and just kind of tweaked them all so they couldn't get sued yeah and uh they were like yeah this is the this is the one and it was like a dollar 25 captain kirk mask that was left over from like last year's halloween and they were like we can do something with this but yeah i think that's the thing he has a very interesting design he's so blank and expressionless and all that stuff oh hey everybody sorry about that we had a minor technical difficulty so if this jumps a little bit apologies but i believe where we were was talking about the creepy mask the creepy mask but yeah i think that's kind of why michael carried on so well as it as the series continues because he's so this it's so plain and basic but it's very like it's mysterious it's mysterious and it has like an iconography to it that i think carries on and maybe that's why halloween kept going and rolling and people kept attaching themselves to michael because he's so I guess emotionless mm-hmm. blank that it's easy to kind of impose your own fears to him like your own ideology of or your own ideas of what's underneath the mask and I think that might be why he um I guess works so well but back to the actual movie movie we there are other characters than Michael Myers there is. I already talked a little bit at length about Donald Pleasance playing Dr. Loomis and Dr. Loomis is amazing and Michael is you know the blank monster but then we have Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode, the uh, original Scream Queen, Jamie Lee Curtis. Would you call her the girl next door? In this movie? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. She is every she's every girl next door in this movie. She's book smart. She's kind of dressed down, but she's still pretty. And, you know, it, it just seems like she wants to have that, you know, high school boyfriend, girlfriend experience, but she's really shy. Yeah. You know, when she's all hyped over uh, Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer, yeah. Ben Tramer. That is a running joke in in a certain internet communities where it's like, I know what happened to Michael, but what happened to Ben Tramer? Oh, my God. We'll never know. We'll never know because I think he's only mentioned like 15 twice. times, twice in the movie. And yeah, fun times. But I don't know. I really like Jamie Lee Curtis's performance in the film. Because she seems so, like, genuine. And I think that comes with the fact that she was actually the age of the character in this film. Yeah, out of the girls, she was the only one that was a teenager at the time of the filming. Yeah, I think, think she, well, Grant, I think she was, like, 19, right? 
still counts. Yeah, no, it still counts. I mean, like, realistically, if you went, depending on when you went into high school, you could be 19 and a senior in high school. Yeah. So, yeah, she was, like, probably the closest in the age of the character. She acted the most like a teenager who wasn't really sure of herself kind of thing, which and is funny. And she also looked like a teenager. She didn't look 19. She looked like she could have been 15 or 16 during this oh, film. Oh, I don't think so. No, she looked pretty young for... Well, she looked young from her dress, you know, whatnot, but she... I it was it's weird and don't get me wrong, Jamie Lee Curtis. Honestly, you've you've aged incredibly well. You're still a very you know she's a gorgeous woman. woman. Yeah, and you know even in her older years, but it's so strange because she's always like even in this where she's 19, I always thought she was much older. Granted, she looked 30 for like 40 years, so I mean hey, that's the way to do it. Pretty good, you know, good good on you and then you know you, you hit now and now she finally starts kind of looking her age a little bit but i mean you know what have you i'm, I'm not going to be that weird misogynistic boyfriend in the conversation talking to my girlfriend about about age yeah yeah hey you know whatever but yeah so it's kind of weird in this movie we see jamie lee curtis and it's funny because i believe in reality she was like the head cheerleader in her high school so she was the opposite of Lori. yeah but i mean i think that goes with john carpenter's like ability to cast people i because i think everyone in this movie is like they're perfect for their roles yeah they're great casting um i know pj souls played what, what's the blonde girl's name she played linda linda yeah i think she's the perfect like dumb blonde like sex crazed friend who likes to party yeah and Annie, she's the exact kind of I just want to be with my boyfriend kind of person. And, you know, I everybody in this movie seems perfect for the role. So, yeah. So now it's your turn to talk about all these, you know, high school girls and you can identify each one of them as friends you once had. I mean, I can identify them as, you know, friends that I have had in the past. But for me, I'd probably be a Lori. I was kind of quiet, you know, kept to myself. I had my crazy friends. Yeah, you love telling us about your crazy friends. I have a lot of good stories about from my friends, but back to the podcast. Yeah, back to the podcast. I mean, we're still in the podcast. I think the well, I mean, I I reason I ask you that question is how believable are they to your kind of oh, high school experience? Because... Very, very believable. You always have friends that are trying to you know influence you a little bit, kind of push you out of your shell, and I was kind of like her, where I you know. I knew where my boundaries were and I stayed within them. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, you know, you always want to, you know, maybe tip a, a toe over the edge of the line, but. And the I, one night she tips her toe over yeah. the edge, Michael Myers shows up. Hey, I mean, she was doing her job. She was babysitting. I mean, she took on two kids. Originally, she was babysitting one kid and then all hell breaks loose. All her friends end up dead. As soon as she finds out, it's like, oh, Ben Tramer wants to go to the dance with me. Oh. Oh, Michael's my. like, I don't think so. It's like, nah, 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 bitch. Mm -mm. Don't, don't fool around until marriage. That's a weird morality thing in these movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like Scream, you have the rules. Yeah. No sex, no drugs. No, no rock way. and roll. No rock and roll, or I mean, they did have Blue Oyster Cult in the movie, so it was a good song. But that's a weird thing about this movie that I think a lot of people keep coming back to and quoting. It's like um, horror films, especially slashers, are very big, like morality tales. Mm -hmm. 
where it's, oh, you don't do drugs, no premarital sex, always listen to the adults, you know, all these other things. Never say, I'll be right back. Yeah, never say, I'll be right back. I mean, ever? Or just Halloween night? I feel like when they did that in Scream, they were only referencing Halloween. Because I've seen, okay, I've seen a lot of slasher movies. Yeah. I've seen a lot of horror movies. I've seen a lot of movies. And those rules only kind of apply to a very specific couple of slasher movies. It's true. But yeah. So the thing is, is like in Halloween for this is John Carpenter, because he's done interviews and he was asked, hey, did you intend to have this weird morality play and just very staunch, like, you know, conservative values in the movies? And he's like, hell no are you kidding me i was baked out of my mind when i was writing the script i just crossed my mind that oh of course the ones who are getting plowed and doing drugs are gonna die because they're not paying attention to where the killer is of course not and that's why Lori liz is because she's the you know the chaste one she's the one who's not fooling around doing drugs messing around she's being a very attentive because she's watching the kids she's paying attention and you know she's smart she's clever and she gets through this and she's a survivor girl she is the prototypical survivor girl. Like we were talking about in uh, the Behind the Mask uh, film. And Scream. And Scream, there's, yeah. There's always one. There's always one survivor girl. Did you know that around the time that they were casting um, Jamie Lee Curtis for this movie, Universal was also trying to cast her for Psycho 2? Oh, God. Can you imagine what that would have looked like if they had done it with Jamie Lee Curtis coming in? Would have been horrible i mean every psycho sequel as far as i know is terrible i mean i love psycho i mean i will watch it year round but i will watch the sequels too i'm sorry oh they're bad but i will sit there and i will watch them because i just i love psycho so well if you want to hear uh me discuss psycho and halloween on the same podcast go uh to my shameless plug the double feature podcast shameless plug alert number two exactly i gotta i gotta keep doing this you know i gotta make that that cheddar cheddar bling bling dollar dollar yo i know he's gotta take me out for you know good dinner i do she's uh she's an expensive date but i love you too i do love the the value menu at mcdonald's you have no idea how much i love mcdonald's dreams but yeah like that's you know back to the back to the point in hand so yeah the whole thing about halloween that i think works really well is you know the characters and the story the story is is kind of interesting because we know the plot of the movie but what's the story of the movie because i know the whole thing is oh he came home that was the tag yeah for the movie and it's like oh i guess the story is what if this psycho killer comes home and wreaks havoc on a town and something or other did you know that they wrote a book about the movie like an actual like novelization and they they give you more detail about michael his thinking and his actions oh was it from michael's perspective i'm not sure if it's from michael's perspective but i think it's over like a like a novelization version of the movie that expands a little bit more about what happens i know it's a really hard book to find i was trying to find it and it's near impossible so we're probably gonna have to raid some more bookstores oh i maybe i mean i've heard that that book is because i heard that book existed i heard because it came out like right when the movie came out yeah. or right after or something like that i think it came out when the sequel came out it might have yeah because i think the sequel came out like a year or two after mm-hmm. so that that would kind of work but 
mean, I can't imagine it. what the what the book would be about because the I guess it would just be a whole thing where oh this is what Laurie was thinking in this scene from the movie that you recognize and this is what Michael was thinking in this scene from the movie you recognize but it could have been always... stuff with like Doctor Loomis's notes from observing him from over the years maybe that might have been it because I'm I'm just curious because the movie is actually very basic it's very straightforward i mean the whole epitus of the film and the writing process and john carpenter wanting to do it was he wanted to make a sequel to black christmas and then it kind of just spiraled into its own thing which makes sense because if you've ever seen black christmas this is a very like close approximation of that story but with its own like its own twist it's own, well, maybe not even its own twist, but its own like uniqueness to to it because Black Christmas is a lot more focused on the hijinks of the sorority girls, mm-hmm. and there's a lot more of like a mystery going on, and it's it's a it's a totally different movie. This film, John Carpenter's Halloween, is a lot more focused on like suspense and uneasy feeling you know the music the sound of the breathing and it... i love the music it, it's so simple too it's nothing you know no no orchestra or anything it's just a couple of keys on the piano and you know when those keys hit you know the hair on your neck starts to raise because you know that he's coming you know a murder is gonna happen that was the weirdest thing okay because this movie was made in 78 i've seen way worse things way scarier things on youtube than halloween but when that music kicks in i the hairs on my arm stood up and it was so weird i and i because i've seen halloween i don't know dozens of times at this point in my life but it's it's been a while Mm -hmm. because usually when like i watch halloween because it's kind of my yearly tradition in october i watch halloween because it, it's just, a, it's an easy get. You know, I watch Halloween, I watch The Thing, I watch The Shining. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the three horror movies that I really dig and I like to kind of watch in, you know, the October season. In the season, as it were. And I watch Halloween year-round. Yeah, you watch Halloween year-round. I love I know you do. You loved it so much that when you got us tickets to go see it in, like, the Fox Theater in Fullerton. Yes, that that was an experience. I mean, we've seen Halloween a bunch of times, but didn't it feel different seeing it on a big screen? I don't know if it felt different seeing it on a big screen, but it was definitely more precarious because that theater is falling apart. It is. It's it's a cool theater in Fullerton. It's been around since 1925, so you oh, feel yeah. like you're stepping back in time when you go into that theater. Okay, to give everybody an idea of what the Fox Theater in Fullerton is on the inside. Because you can see it. It's right on the corner of, like, Harbor and Chapman. Yeah, I think so. Or Commonwealth. Or something like yeah. that. And it's, if you ever walked in, imagine every haunted movie theater in a movie. It is that personified. I mean, that movie theater is goals. Haunted movie theater, that's home. You're you're the reason why people have to lock up abandoned asylums at night. Uh no, that's where I draw the line. I won't go into a haunted asylum. You won't go to a ha- you're going to a haunted movie theater, but you won't go into a haunted asylum. Yeah. Uh, I love you too. I mean that that's like a an easy sell right there. Who would want to go into a haunted asylum and you know, God knows what's gonna happen to them in there. But a haunted movie theater, 
you know, maybe a monster pops out, you know, maybe, you know, the, the screen, the projector will get rolling, something spooky will show up on the screen. You just want to live in a cinematic world where monsters are cool and not evil, I guess? Yeah, I'll take that. I'll I take I'll take being friends with Frankenstein's monster. We learn little, little more scary things about Miss Boo every day. Please, like, you don't want to live in a cinematic world yourself, well, where you and Stanley Kubrick are best friends. Hey, besides the point, you know... Don't don't hey, and hey. you and you live on the countryside in uh, Barry Lyndon's world. Okay, first of all, we're gonna watch Barry Lyndon for this podcast. Be prepared, because that movie is sweet, sensual love to your eyeballs for three solid hours. Guys, he describes this movie every way the same way, and it's weird every time he it's describes so it. So good. But back to Halloween. Yeah. So I mean, like. I mean, it's a great I'm movie. I mean, it's a great movie overall, you know, despite how small the budget was. I mean, to the fact that there wasn't even a budget for the clothing in the movie, all the actors had to wear their own clothes from home. Hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis was the only one that went out and actually went on, like, a shopping spree at JCPenney, and she only spent, like, a hundred bucks. Yeah, for, for her, her whole wardrobe. Which was, like, three outfits. But, I mean, it, it kind of sold, like, the characters, you know, they were, you know, who they actually were as, you know, real people because it's their clothing and it's just they're taking on a brand new name for this film i think this is a thing that um maybe harkens back to the Eraserhead episode we did mm -hmm. last week and that's john carpenter is very very good at making the most out of very little and getting the most work within his means kind of like how david lynch when he was making Eraserhead, he had such a low budget such Hard times working, but he made every little bit count. Everything came, went up on screen. And that's kind of how John Carpenter works in all of his movies. In The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, in The Fog. I love The Fog. In the we we got to do an episode about The Fog. Yeah, we'll do we'll do an episode of The Fog, and then we'll talk about its really bad remake. I believe it's going on the 40th anniversary this year for The Fog. Oh, yeah, I think it is. Oh, shit. Yeah, we probably should watch that before the year is over. I mean, I'm going to twist your arm a little bit. I think we should watch the original Fog. Oh, I love that movie. No, the original, the opening for the original Fog is one of the, my my favorite openings in in like film. But back to besides Halloween. Besides the point, yeah. Back. To I mean, we can gush about John Carpenter for hours. At least I can. Like, I, oh, I can too. I love him so much. Yeah. I mean, I mean his I, his work basically pre Escape from L.A. Even Escape from L.A. and before, it's, like, really good. Mm -hmm. It's, like, when you get to, like, Ghosts of Mars is when things get pretty rough. But, you know, he's still, like, a consistent degree. When he was at his game, top of his game, he was very good. But, yeah, back to the point at hand that we were talking about. John Carpenter does a lot to work within his means, and this film shows it. Yeah, I mean, even though the film was shot not in Illinois, it was shot here in California, you know... Just the small details of, you know, having the fake leaves on the street to convey that it, it's fall, it's autumn. And, you know, the fact that he had people go to, like, a Dollar Tree or whatever was there at the time back in the 70s. They and called just... them five and dimes and they were everywhere. Back to the five and dime. Sorry to throw a little accent on that. But, but yeah, the fact that he sent people to the five and dime to go buy fake leaves and paint them, you know, so they look like, you know, dead leaves... And then have them collected at every scene to throw them, you know, in the next yard that was going to be filmed. Yeah, but I mean, 
all those trees are a lush green. Lush green, and if you look hard enough, you can see some palm trees in the back. You know, there's... I found that out, like, years ago, and now I can never unsee it. Oh, yeah, same here. Every time I watch that scene of the girls walking, it's like, there goes a palm tree. There's another one. There's another one. I think that's a good point about the suspension of disbeliefs we have to kind of give to these movies. Because, let's be honest, for slasher movies, you got to suspend your disbelief pretty hard to groove with them. Because, you know... As Boo's favorite line in Scream says, well, it's insulting. Why does the big-titted breast girl go up the stairs when she'd be running around out the front door? It's insulting. I mean, that line is just hilarious. It is. But you in a horror movie, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, being like, oh, why is she running out up the stairs? Oh, because she's scared. She's not thinking logically kind of thing. And this movie, you kind of got to do that. It's just you have to suspend your disbelief thinking Pasadena is illinois or small town illinois but hey i mean you know if we hadn't seen the palm trees or if we hadn't you know had that brought to our attention we would have believed that it was illinois if they had cropped the the camera where it was just the slightest and we hadn't seen the the palm trees in the back we could have easily believed that haddonfield was somewhere you know in the midwest the east coast I anywhere why they didn't just make it in california i don't know I wonder if that's a thing that goes with it. things are scarier when it's in a small town. Yeah, and I mean, we have small towns here, but California is California. So you, you just automatically think of the beaches or Hollywood. But, with, you know, just the streets alone that they chose for Haddonfield, you know, you believe that it's a small town. And we go to Pasadena quite often. I have family out there and... You know, we, we do get to see some of the filming locations when we drive through the city. and Very, very rarely. We have to go way out of our way to get there, boo. We do, but... You're, you're usually pressuring me, being like, hey, hey, let's drive to the other side of Pasadena to see this. It's not that far. It's like a 10-minute drive. Yeah, but I'm the one driving, and that drive is not 10 minutes. It's like a half hour. You love seeing the Michael Myers house. Yeah, but I also like being on time for, you know, lunch with the family. <sighs> we always make it on time. Yes, yes, we do, because she makes me leave at like 7 a.m. But besides the point, you know, I love you, boo. Please don't hit me. Wow. I know. But honestly, it is it is interesting, you know, you're, you're, the point you're going with is that Hollow, like Pasadena just kind of worked really well for small town america it did and it's surreal driving through there and you know you see the hardware store where the break-in happens in the movie and then right across the street is the michael myers house and it's just kind of like am i am i really seeing this am i really you know reliving the movie and it's it's crazy you know you go into the neighborhood and you see some of the houses you see the, the set of bricks that Lori's sitting on with the pumpkin when she's waiting for Annie to pick her up. It's also astounding that all that stuff is still around because yeah. Halloween is came out in 78, so it's almost four. It's a little over 40 years old right now, right? Yeah, because I think when we went to the screening at the Fox Theater, it was for the 40th anniversary. Okay, yeah, so I think it's at like 42 years now. So 42 years and basically everything's still standing. I know all the houses are still standing because you because you made us go look at them. Of course. 
Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the hard I don't know if the hardware store is still a hardware store now. I'm not sure what it is now. I think it might be a restaurant, but it's it's still there. It's they're they're catty corner to each other, the house and the hardware store. And then right behind the Michael Myers house is the Sugar Mint Gallery, which is kind of like an homage to Halloween. And they do these really cool events there where they have like screenings in the backyard and they project the movies onto the back of the Michael Myers house. So it's like if you love the movie, you can go and be right there next to the house watching the movie that was shot in that house on the back of the house. It's it's a trip. Honestly, that's one of the things that feels really bad because of the the coronavirus that, you know, didn't I mean, do that shit. I mean, anymore. they're still doing screenings. They're they're spacing people out. Oh, okay. And they they're still doing like events, you know, now that October's here, they're doing like weekend events where you could go and walk through the gallery and purchase things. So, I think we should, you know, take advantage and and go visit. Do you just want to go to the Michael Myers house? Well, I mean, we've been there before, but yes, I would like to go again. Man, I wanted to have, like, lunch on time this week. But whatever. I love you. Sure, we can go. We can go after we see the family. Yeah, after we see the family. Hi, family. Hello, family. But, yeah. So, back to the movie, since we got on a little tangent about, you know, the city. Hey, I mean, the city's, you know. It's part of the movie. It's part of the story. Because, I mean, it doesn't have a California vibe in the movie, but it's California. It's, It's kind of weird. Yeah, I, well, that's the thing. When you become conscious of it, you kind of can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. But if if we really want to get back to the movie, we kind of got to look at maybe what's going on in the houses, the spooky shit, the kills, the thrills, the chills. The fact that this was an abandoned house and it was, you know, in disarray for most of the movie because that's how they found it. And at the very end, they had to kind of clean up the house and repaint it just for those opening shots of the movie's pretty cool. Which brings me to the thing, what is the best kill in the movie? Because I think the opening is iconic. Yeah, and it took them two days to film that. Yeah, which is, is interesting. So the opening scene, for those of you who may not have uh, perused the film before, which I think is kind of weird, the movie's 42 years old. And it's a classic. Yeah, it's probably older than most of the people who's li- who are listening to this. But yeah, this uh, this opening is is very good. So it's all done in a in this single long take um, point of view shot, where it's this little kid that we're seeing through his eyes, through a mask. Through, well, at, yeah, he goes through the house. He sees this woman, this woman, girl, like getting ready to fool around with her boyfriend. And they go upstairs. He sneaks in. He picks up a butcher knife. He puts on like this little clown mask and then he goes in. The boyfriend just is like leaving because they had the shortest sex of all time. Record time. Record time because he goes up there. to They go up there to screw within like a minute flat. He's coming out you know, putting his pants on. He's like, all right, baby. See ya. See ya later. And just, yeah. And then this, you know figure just goes his way up the stairs goes in turn and the girl turns around and she, you know the kid stabs her and then it's revealed like oh that's his sister the parents find him and this big scene this big reveal also is it just me or did you think it's weird that she's sitting there in her underwear just underwear brushing her hair well i mean don't don't all women just sit topless in their room brushing their hair i may be one of the lone ones that doesn't but i thought that was kind of odd you know really you're just gonna sit there and with your little brother home that you're probably supposed to be watching. I mean, 
he was small enough that I'm sure his parents probably wouldn't have let him go trick or treating alone. He probably needed he was somebody. Like, what? Eight, eight, ten. But that's another thing. So they the kid has this full costume on, all this other stuff. Does he just not go trick or treating at all? Or, that, that actually brings yeah. me to another point. So Tommy's parents in the movie, the the Jarvises or whatever. So Tommy's parents. They are like, hey, Lori, come over at 8 o'clock, watch Tommy. We're going to go out for a date night. And they don't come, and we don't never see him come home. So they're gone until, like, what, four, three, four in the fucking morning? I mean, who it's, knew? it's late enough to where the streets are empty on Halloween night. So it's got to be, like, three in the morning. And who knew, you know, Haddonfield had this, you know, popping nightlife that's going on, apparently, that the all the parents are going out to, to party. I have a theory that it's a swingers party, and they're there with uh, Lindsay's parents. Ooh, it's a key party. Yeah, it, that's it, what it, it is. It is the 70s, so it could It have is been. the 70s. That, that's probably why they were just like, oh, girl with her tits out brushing her hair. Duh. The 70s. That's normal. Disco. Ah. Uh, you, remember, you remember cocaine? I remember cocaine. Ah, the 70s. We are very much 90s kids, so we did not live through the 70s. We did not. We did not. Even though Dean wishes he had. Eh, you know, based on my bands that I like, probably. But, back to the point at hand. <laughs> yeah, it is it is kind of weird. So, the opening scene is iconic, but then everything else that happens in the movie, like, what do you think, what do you think is the best kill in the movie? Because I think I know my favorite. I think my favorite kill of the movie is Bob in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, that's a very good one. I mean, just, you know, with one hand, he's able to strangle him and lift him up to the ceiling, and then he kind of just leaves him in place by putting the knife in his stomach. And it's just like, damn, how strong is this guy? So Sorry, I keep going back to the uh, to the other podcast, but I ha- we had a theory that, you know, Donald Pleasance, Dr. Loomis is like watching him and he's like i've never seen him move he just stares out the window planning his escape planning this night for one day he would return and my thinking is every time michael would sit there looking out the window planning this shit as soon as dr loomis left he'd drop and crank out like 100 push-ups he just he 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 was uh smuggling in pieces of a bowflex machine through prisoners asses and building that in his cell like, like Michael is just Bowflex CrossFit, like, super buff underneath the jumpsuit. You're really overthinking this movie, aren't you? We just went from key party to, to Michael just, like, works out every day in the prison cell when no one's watching. I mean, is it really that out of line? Is smuggling in a Bowflex through somebody's ass, is that really out of line? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, come that's, on. That's kind of bizarre. Hey, hey, Michael's been in on the inside for a long time he he knows what a prison wallet is so weird and also shameless plug number three of this episode Uh, you know it happens we're keeping track buy me presents so but yeah like i like that one because like the kill for bob is when you know michael stabs him steps back and he also gets creative too he goes back up to the bedroom has a sheet on his head and puts the glasses over the sheet yeah I, I like that that whole sequence is really good, it, but I think the creepiest part is when Michael takes the step back away from Bob's body as it's hanging up on the and wall, he, and he just kind of cocks his head. Yeah, he's looking at it like a modern art piece. Like it, it's one of those things that's dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. 
for Michael, it makes him feel less um, like a person. He's like looking at this this guy and he's like, I don't really know what you are, but what I've done to you is interesting. And it's so like detached kind of thing. He's looking at Bob like a thing and not like a person. And it's really, it's really cool. Just that little cock of the head, you get a lot of, of like character out of that. Oh, definitely. But I mean, again, that's why his character is great because you never hear him say a word mm-hmm. and you have this ex- expressionless mask but he still has so much character about him. Oh, yeah. It's a very physical performance. Uh, I believe Nick Castle did almost all the, the performances in it, which is weird because he's also... He did all the performances, Michael, but he wasn't the guy underneath the mask and he yanked it off. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, donned the mask for the movie. You know, John yeah, yeah, John Carpenter. Three or four people. I know John Carpenter did it for one scene but i don't know which scene it was was it the one where michael was driving or across the street i don't remember i know that um the producer of the movie i can't think of her name at the moment she was michael when laurie or not laurie when tommy looks across the street and sees michael standing in front of annie's house that she's uh, babysitting she was also the hands of little michael in yes the she was opening yeah it is, it is very interesting and but, it's, it's cool that everyone, you know, more or less got a turn to be Michael in the movie. It is funny. But the best kill of the movie, sorry to break break your heart, though. It's not Bob. It's Annie when she's in the car. That was pretty creepy. Uh, well, I think that was the thing where, because she goes into, goes into the garage. She's all happy. She's going to go see Paul. She's singing, oh, Paul, mm-hmm. something, something, 70s love song. And she's like, oh, I don't have the keys to the car. She goes into the house. She's in there for like a second, grabs the keys. She's, you know, all happy, you know, doing her little thing. Walking back out to the garage, she opens up the garage or she opens up the car door, sits down into the car and realizes, wait a minute, I didn't unlock the the car door. And why are the windows fogged up? And then Michael (laughs) comes out and he like starts strangling her and she starts freaking out. And we hear the choking noise, we hear his, like, Michael's breathing, the, har- the horn going, the struggle, and she dies, and she, you know, it's, it's really brutal, and it's really, like, raw, and it's, like, that suspense, that build-up, that tension, and that payoff is so good. It's so, like, expertly done. But yeah, that, that was my favorite. I mean, it was a good kill, and, and that's the, the first kill of the, the main cast that we get. Yeah, that is. Now that I think about it, that was the first. That was the that was when the stakes were actually raised to a point. Yeah, and then you know, not too long after that kill, that's when Linda and Bob come into the house. Yeah, which sets up for the next two kills of the movie. And I mean, I I know we're jumping ahead, but I love you know when Lori finally comes into the house and she discovers the bodies of her friends and how he places Annie in the bed and he has Judith's headstone above her head in the bed i mean that's oh, just michael's michael's fun house his fun house he's so creative how long do you think michael was alone in that house to set all that up i mean with superhuman strength he was probably you know two dead bodies over each shoulder and just kind of throwing people because i mean he's able to rig bob up through i'm guessing one of the rafters in the ceiling so he drops when laurie backs into the hallway yeah well the other thing is like how strong is Michael? Because that is a full-size marble tombstone. Yeah. That he had to haul off. At, first, he had to lift out of the fucking ground. And then he had to carry that inside of a house, 
up a flight of stairs, set it up in the bed, and like he, and then he has to set up three other bodies, rig them all up, stuff them in places. It's weird because it's almost like Michael's having like a little art show of horror. Art show of horror by the evil superhuman that is Michael Myers. Because, I mean, he gets shot, he gets stabbed in the eye or the face, or in the neck. He gets, yeah, stabbed so what happens neck. is he he gets stabbed in the neck, he gets... Uh, Winged in the shoulder? Well, what ha- Well, I'm going to go through everything as I remember. He gets stabbed in the neck by the needle, by the sewing needle. Then he, he drops the knife, he gets stabbed in the chest. Then he they go up into the closet area he gets down to the eye with a coat hanger um he drops the knife there gets stabbed in the chest again i think and then that's when he gets shot like six times like dr luma shows up and it unloads a full clip into michael's chest and he falls out of a second story window and, and still manages to get away and in every movie he you know either is getting shot or stabbed and he always survives. And he's always at, you know, maximum, you know, strength the next time the, the next movie rolls through. So he's got to be something else. He's not human. And I think that's the point. Michael Myers isn't isn't uh, man. He is monster. He, he is. is the boogeyman. He is the boogeyman. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good approximation of our feelings on the, on the movie. Anything else you want to throw out before we you know, wrap things up? When are we going to watch it again? Um, soon-ish? I'll take that. Yeah, because I, I mean, this is my second time watching it, so I'm probably going to watch it a third time on, like, actual Halloween. So, today. Today. Yeah, that's right. I'm probably going to watch it tonight. La sigh. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, overall, it's a great movie. I, I recommend it to anybody. If you haven't seen it yet, please watch it because it's a masterpiece, you know, for being a, a small budget film. They did so much with what they had. Highest grossing independent film for like 10 years, 20 years, something like that until it got broken by something else. I can't remember what broke it, but yeah, the movie is fantastic. I mean, I can't praise it enough. It's one of those movies you can watch all the time and just never get bored of. What would you rank it at? Um, Mm, I don't know, probably like an eight, nine. Very good. Has its has its little flaws. Usually, a lot of it's just kind of like maybe like little weird inconsistencies. But like honestly, overall, like John Carpenter does a fucking amazing job directing this movie. And it's not too long. It's just fun enough to keep you interested. I I highly recommend it. Are you gonna see um? part two of the new halloween series that's coming Hell out Hell yeah you miss out the new one in theaters we did and I, i'm just so sad that because of corona it got pushed to next year yeah the real horror of 2020 isn't michael myers it's the coronavirus and that we don't get to see michael myers until next year yeah but on a brighter note miss boo why don't you tell everybody where they can find us if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. Or if you want to listen to us, we are on Spotify and Anchor FM. All right. And what are we going to watch next week? Ooh, next week is actually a Dean Arthouse pick. Mm-hmm. I know Dean's excited. Very excited. I've never seen this film before. So do you want to tell our uh, 
our film club buddies what we're watching next week. Next week is going to be one of my favorite movies. It's a film. It inspired lots of bits of Silent Hill 2, the greatest survival horror video game of all time. And this is one of the best psychological thrillers, horrors, probably I've ever seen. It stars, you know, your boy Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption. It is Jacob's Ladder celebrating its, I believe, its 30th anniversary this year. Well, I'm excited to watch it. I've never seen it before, and your past few picks have been pretty good, so I think you're going to be on a good trend. You might not have liked Eraserhead, but you're going to like Jacob's Ladder. All right, everybody. That's, I guess, the end of our Hollywood night here at the Film Club. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Stay scared. Peace.